Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. One of the most complex joints in our body is something that we need to treat. Patients who have pain in their TMJ come to us for treatment. Often they don't even know that it's the TMJ that's causing the pain. Understanding temporomandibular dysfunction is crucial to helping your patients, even if it is just understanding enough to refer them to the right person. And that's why in this podcast, we have Dr. Damien Teo. He's focused on sleep and TMD, restricting his practice to helping these patients and educating and helping you on these topics. We're doing a trio of topics here, bruxism, TMD, and sleep apnea. This is the second of three. Make sure you check out bruxism released a few months ago and sleep apnea is coming coming up soon. At the end of this podcast, we have episode three of the OrthoEd segment. This time, we're talking with Dr. Jeff Hall about the diagnosis of my teeth. I'm going to be getting ortho myself. I'm going to be learning ortho through the OrthoEd Mini Masters, and I want to bring you on the journey with me. I hope those segments are really helpful, and if you're interested in learning ortho, you can get 10% off anything from OrthoEd with the codes that are in the show notes of this podcast. But for now, let's hear Damien Teo as he explains that really common situation you're going to find yourself in in general practice. Just imagine you've got a patient who's booked in for you uh, with a toothache. And then you'll be thinking, okay, there's a toothache. It's probably going to be endo or exo, most likely. Patient comes in. Um, they're t- telling you they've got um, a tooth pain or jaw pain on the right-hand side, but they can't tell whether it's from the top or bottom. So when you look inside the mouth, you don't see any caries, no abscesses. You take your PAs and x-rays, do your TTP and cold testing. Nothing is out of ordinary, but the patient's still telling you that they're feeling a pain in the area. So if you can't see any dental problems, we have to realize it could be a TMJ problem. And quite commonly, um, the muscles in, um, in our face, especially the masseters, buccinators, medial pterygoid, etc., they can refer pain to our teeth, if, especially if the muscles are all um, tight and spasming. If patients have um, clicking in the TMJs as well, um, or a locked jaw where they can't open their mouth properly, that can also refer pain to the teeth as well. So we have to realize that, hey, this toothache we're seeing in the chair today, it may not be a simple drill and fill or exo. We might need to actually do TMD treatment. And TMD treatment itself is not just a simple one or two visit thing. It's a chronic pain condition. It's just like having someone coming in with fibromyalgia, which is basically chronic pain in the whole body. It's not just a simple, here's some drugs or here's a few meds and you're fixed. It's a a diagnostic process and we have to figure out what's the best um, way to treat this patient before just shoving something into their mouth and doing something. Mm-hmm. That's um, uh, the pa- picture you painted at the start. There it reminds me quite clearly, actually, of a case I had where it was very similar to that. Um, they couldn't tell if it was on the top or the bottom, but it was on the right side. Um, pain towards the molars, and obviously no no dental cause. Um, I wasn't sure, so I did actually send them to an endodontist who mm. diagnosed um, masseter pain, and mm. we could easily treat that once it was understood. I'm sure many of the listeners have come across that, and um, yeah. I hope all the other ones are still thinking about that for the future patients Mm. um what should we be doing once we do identify it's more than likely um tmd 
Mm, so if we're seeing that um, this patient could potentially be a TMD case, then we have to understand that TMD is a very complex field and lots of doctors, not just dentists, but medical doctors themselves don't know what TMD is or how to treat it or even who to refer to because there's no specialty for TMD. The closest we have is an oral pain specialist or um, our oral medicine specialist. Uh, but even then, they still also look at other things and not just focusing on TMD. So since it's a very niche field that's um, not very well taught and not um, it doesn't have um, much recognition, most, pa- uh, most health practitioners don't know what to do and don't know where to send the patient or what treatment they need. So in dentistry, if we see a TMD patient, we're just thinking, okay, it's TMD, um, it's, there's probably some bruxism, there's muscles, I'm thinking I'll make them a splint. However, if we don't know what we're doing, if we just put a splint in the mouth, we could make the TMD worse or we may not do anything. Um, and then the patient will come back and say, hey, that splint you made me cost so much, it's making it worse or not doing anything. We'll try adjust it or we'll make another splint and just keep repeating the same process until the patient starts losing more and more confidence in this. And then we start backing ourselves into a corner thinking, ah, damn, I've now committed myself to this patient um, and thought I could help them, but now they're losing trust in me. So it's, can, it can drive us into a corner where we may lose the patient, but also lose confidence in ourselves. So I think the most important thing anyone, every dentist should know if they want to treat TMD is we need the proper training first. And it's just like if we were to do um, root canal or um, a crown, we all did the proper training in university to know how to do a root canal and know how to do a crown. And we also had the proper training to know when to refer off to a root canal and when to refer off a crown. TMD is the same. And since we weren't, well, I know for myself, I wasn't taught a lot of TMD in my undergraduate training. So I knew on my first um, year out, I was referring a lot of my TMD out. Um, But what I also knew was I found a mentor or I found another dentist who was more experienced in TMD to help me. So then when I did see my own TMD cases, I knew I had a safety net to look after me and say, hey, Damien, if you need help, I'm here um, to hold your hand. And that's the same as what we do as a new grad when we do our root canals and extractions and crowns. We know we have our good old endodontist or prosthodontist or um, MaxVac surgeon to bail us out if we can't um, take that um, upper eight out or if we fractured a file in the root canal. We know we've got someone to back us up. And that's the same with TMD. It's important to have someone to be our safety net to back us up if we do decide to take on these cases. Because it's not something that everyone will want to take on. And it's perfectly fine saying, no, I don't want to touch TMD. I'm going to refer them all to Dr. So-and-so, who I know is an expert. Take that stress off me. I'm just going to focus on my general dentistry and endos, crowns, etc." cetera. Hmm. It, it's hmm. so obvious when you think about it that we can get ourselves in over our head because we don't realize that there's a clear, there is a pathway of referral and that we need to utilize that. Mm. If we if we don't have a handle on how to treat it, do you think um, there are any situations we can treat without further education? Do you think we really need to get a handle on TMD before we 
go into it? I think we really do need to get a handle on TMD because um, what we don't realize with TMD, um, well, lots of lots of dentists and doctors don't realize with TMD is it's a chronic pain and chronic health condition. So hmm. since it's a chronic pain and health condition, the person has most likely been suffering with it for at least six months because that's, that's what chronic is. And when the body has been suffering or been undergoing changes over six months, the brain undergoes plastic changes as well. And plastic changes mean the brain undergoes permanent changes. And it undergoes these plastic changes to help the body readapt to this new situation it's living in. So if, the, um, if we have a TMD patient and they've undergone plastic changes, they're going to be much more complex compared to a patient who is completely healthy and doesn't have any pain. So um, uh, analogy I like to use for my patients is um, imagine you have a smoke alarm in your house. Um, we want the smoke alarm to only go off when there's a fire. Now, if you've got TMD and you've undergone plastic changes in your brain, your smoke alarm is now hypersensitive and it goes off whenever I'm turning on the oven. Now, we don't want the smoke alarm to be going off every time I turn off the oven. We only want it to go off when there's an emergency. And that's what these TMD patients are experiencing. Their smoke alarm is going off to the smallest stimulus that is um, affecting them. So even just touching their face may cause them pain. And if that's going to cause them pain, then anything we do in the mouth, whether it be a filling or making a splint, etc., that could definitely cause more pain or problems if we don't know what we're doing. Mm. So there's, there's much higher risks from what I'm hearing. Mm, definitely, yes. Dental Protection Limited, they're more than just an indemnity insurer. Of course, they'll provide the best support they can when you have a tough time and you need them. But that goes without saying. More importantly, they're trying to help us prevent these things and they're doing this through their online education, their numerous blogs and articles, their live education and now a podcast called Risk Bites that is bite-sized pieces of information to help you prevent medico-legal risks. And during this COVID-19 pandemic, they are providing unparalleled support to their members. So if you're a member, you'd know all this, but even if you're not, you can get a lot of this information online. Check DPL out and thank you DPL for supporting dental students and graduates and for supporting the Dental Head Start podcast. I find majority of TMD patients have some sort of bruxism and What's been going on in them is they, um, they've been bruxing for many years and the bruxism has been causing micro trauma to their condyle and their TMJ. So they may be in their mid forties, but they could have been bruxing since they were in their twenties. If they've been bruxing for 20 years, that's 20 years of wear and tear on the TMJ, the disc, the condyle, etc. And they may have had clicking in their TMJ all their life, but now when we see them today, that clicking is now causing them pain and problems because the body can no longer handle that. It can no longer handle um, the pressure and the pain it's been dealing with for the last 20 years. And then we see them as the chronic pain, jaw pain, headaches, neck pain, etc., which is our TMD patient. Other underlying um, causes of TMD is um, related to our sleep. So that's been another huge, um, um, huge revelation over the last um, 10, 10 or so years into TMD. We've been realizing that TMD is very closely related with sleep apnea. And another f interesting fact is 
Most people with chronic health or chronic pain conditions, they normally have a sleep disorder or sleep deprivation. So if we don't sleep properly, our, our body experiences more pain. And it's also a lot harder for our body to heal if we don't sleep properly. If we have TMD, we have more pain, we don't sleep well, and our body can't heal properly. So the cycle just perpetuates itself. So quite commonly, um, with all my TMD patients, I'm looking for signs and symptoms of bruxism, and I'm also looking for signs and symptoms of sleep disorders, specifically sleep apnea, because sometimes to treat their TMD, we have to treat their sleep. And if they've got sleep apnea, that's something we dentists can treat. Um, mm. And in doing so, we can also treat the TMD. That's fascinating, actually. The, they're so interrelated. And we obviously are doing a couple of these podcasts. There is one on bruxism and there is one on sleep apnea. So, if you mm. haven't heard them, check them out as well. Um, you've just touched on it, obviously, a little bit about how you might treat some of these patients. Obviously, every patient's very unique. Mm. Um, but can you broadly t- um, tell us about how um, how you treat these patients and, and why it works? Mm. Yeah. So, uh, whenever I see a TMD patient, I know for a fact that I'm not going to be the only one treating them. When I first started in this field, I had built an ego and thought, oh yeah, I'm going to be the dentist who can, I'm going to be fixing all these TMD patients by myself. But the more and more patients I saw with TMD, the more I realized I can't do everything myself. Um, And sometimes I didn't even need to do anything. Some of these patients were getting better without any dental work. And when I say dental work, I mean without me having to do a splint. Now, um, Today, when I see patients, I'd have to say at le- um, all of my TMD patients are seeing at least some sort of body person, whether it be a physio or a chiropractor or osteopath, because the muscles in our head and neck and posture are so closely related to, related to TMD. And there's only so much as a dentist that we can do to help these structures. Um, some of these patients I see, as I said, they don't even need my help to do, to fix their problems. I'll see them and they've got TMD and I'll tell them, you've got TMD. However, I don't think I need to treat you. I think you need to see this physio or this chiro or this osteo. And if it doesn't work out, come back and see me and then I may make you a splint. Some patients, um, if I, I see they've got sleep and breathing issues. I'll also tell them, okay, you will need to um, have physio, whatever, etc. I'm also going to investigate your sleep and breathing, and potentially we might make you a splint, which will help your TMD, but also help any sleep apnea there's that underlying. And if there is any sleep breathing issues underneath, they may also need to see an ENT, an ENS for a doctor, or they may also need to see a sleep physician to help um, help us with that aspect. Mm. There's obviously so much to think about, hence the further education. Mm. Um, there is a little bit I've uh, heard you talk about with regards to splints and more around the condyle and the disc mm. and the positioning of the jaw. Obviously, mm. it's so crucial. Um, can you give us a bit of an outline around that stuff? Yeah. Um, just so we're aware. Yeah. So, um, in the TMJ itself, we've got the condyle, the disc, and the and the fossa. And now the condyle and the disc and the articular eminence and fossa, they're all bone and cartilage. Um, they, they have no nerves on blood vessels. So in someone with a normal TMJ, when they're opening and closing, they'll have no clicking and they won't, they'll just be touching the bone, the cut, the disc and fossa. Now, when we have a patient whose TMJ starts clicking, that's when the disc starts slipping 
or dislocating of the condyle. And when the disc slips off, it normally slips forward because the lateral pterygoid muscle is attached to the disc and the lateral pterygoid muscle pulls the disc forward. Now, when the disc gets pulled forward, behind the disc is a structure called retrodiscal tissue. And the retrodiscal tissue is the only structure within the TMJ which is filled with nerves and blood vessels. Now, if this retrodiscal tissue is pulled forward and stretched, it can get crushed. And if it gets crushed by the condyle, that's when it will start causing pain. Now, not all patients will feel pain when they've got a clicking TMJ because some can adapt to it and feel fine. But the ones who do, do feel pain, that could be when the retrodiscal tissue is being um, crushed too much. And um, that's when we'll start seeing it as having the jaw pain, headaches. They may start grinding their teeth more because the bruxism is trying to help take pressure off the condyle and the retrodiscal tissue. But <laughs> unfortunately, it's doing the opposite. It's creating more pressure. <laughs> yeah. So with splint therapy, the theory behind splint therapy um, for TMD is we are using splints to open the bite and take pressure or decompress the condyle off the retrodiscal tissue. And sometimes just opening the bite, just opening the vertical um, up and down will be enough to take pressure off. Though, as I mentioned before, disc in majority of these patients has slipped forward. So sometimes just opening the condyle upwards or opening it isn't enough. And sometimes we may need to bring the condyle down and forwards onto the disc to recapture it. So that's where the bite of the splint or the design of the splint can be very important. That's <laughs> absolutely fascinating. I, I wasn't aware of the fact <clears throat> that sometimes we want to actually pull the jaw forward slightly to take that pressure off. And it just mm. makes so much more sense. Obviously, as, as you've said, the complex area that we need to really understand before we get involved with these patients. Mm. Is there any advice you want to leave the newer dentists and the students, people who might be just learning, just like I am, a little bit more about this? Any specific advice or tips you would give them? Yeah, well, for anyone who who's just new to this world of TMD, I would recommend um, learning as much as you can about it. <laughs> so I know it's a very broad thing to say, but I would learn a lot about um, sleep and the relationship between sleep and airways um, with bruxism and also the relationship between sleep and TMD because there's now lots of articles and um, good CPDs and lectures out there which are talking about um, the link between sleep and TMD. And quite often, most of them are saying, if you want to treat TMD, you have to look at the sleep and you have to look at the airway. Other things I would recommend is, um, like I mentioned before, is finding a good uh, a dent another dentist or specialist, like oral med specialist or oral pain specialist who is experienced in this field. So find them to and to be a referral for a referral source and also as a mentor. So if you do want to get into this field and start treating TMD yourself, it's always important to have a safety net to fall back onto and say, hey, I've got this case, but I can't treat it or it's too difficult. Can you help me or can you take over it for me? Because that's the only way we'll be able to effectively learn and get better by having someone else also helping us and um, mentoring us at the same time. Hmm. 
And it's in the end, it's the same safety net we have for anything else. So, mm. that makes a lot of sense. But we've got to go and find that mentor and find that referral p- pathway. Mm. Dr. Damien Teo, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, you, you do quite a lot of other content when this is a three-part series. So, if people haven't heard the other ones, definitely check them out. Um, thank you, Damien, for sharing that with us today. You're welcome, Dave. A pleasure. Welcome to the OrthoEd segment. Today, we're lucky enough to be joined with Dr. Jeff Hall, of course, the founder of OrthoEd. Um, we're going to be going through a few steps with the next couple of episodes where we're going to do the diagnosis of me, my ClinCheck. We're going to talk about the risks that you should be thinking about just broadly and then talking about the changes that Jeff would actually make to my ClinCheck as the first steps. So, welcome to the segment, Jeff. David, great, great to be speaking to you. So, um, and if anyone's interested in Jeff, we've done a podcast, a full episode. Um, it's only a couple of months ago, late 2020, so check it out. So, Jeff, um, this is me, as you know. Um, I want to just go through a little bit of diagnosis and I'd love to hear what is your thought process as you go through the diagnosis? Okay. So, I'm, if we just get a look at the intraoral photos to start off with. So, I'm looking at your intraoral photos and You've got a very interesting and challenging case. <laughs> Good. You have a – so I'm looking at the buccal segments. I'm looking at the molar relationship in the canine. You've got a beautiful, soft-in class one molar, premolar, and canine. So the last thing we want to do either on your right side or your left side because you've got a, a really nice class one soft-in occlusion on both sides is to change your buccal relationship significantly. So, if it's not broken, you don't want to you don't want to fix it. So, I'm looking at that. Now, usually, teeth fit together like a jigsaw puzzle. So, if I'm seeing a perfect class one, I would normally like to see a perfect overbite overchip. Now, I'm not seeing that with you. So, I'm thinking to myself, something's got to give. So, I'm looking now at the centre line. That you've got a very you've got a deviated centre line, and I'm assuming we would have to look at your facial photographs to assess the centre line. You've got to figure out the boundaries, which what is our boundary with the teeth movement. So I'm assuming your upper centre line is correct. I mean, we can look at your external photographs, but I'm assuming that, and if that's the case, your lower centre line is now shifted significantly to your left-hand side. So you've got a minimal overbite and you've got a crossbite on the 2-2, but your 3-2 is significantly labelling position. And when we look at your intraoral photos, you've got significant recession of that 3-2. So we've got to ask ourselves the question, realistically, can we move that 3-2 back or not? Because if you're going to move the anterior two forwards, which is the predominant way of resolving crowding, even if we round trip the case, you're going to end up with further recession on that three two, and you've got a fairly thin, you have fairly thin gingival mm-hmm. tissue on the four one four two as well. So if I can move this, if I can move the photographs down, as I said before, I'm looking at you. You've got a beautiful class one occlusion posteriorly, and I'm saying to myself, why isn't the anterior segment right? You know what's wrong with that? And when I look at that, I've got to say to myself, the first thing I'm going to be thinking of have you got a Bolton discrepancy? And I think that's probably the most missed 
part of orthodontics. We, you know, it's been around since the early 50s. The, the bolt analysis, and with Invisalign, you can actually have a look at your bolt analysis, and it says here you've got a mandibular excess of 1.69 millimetres. Now, when I look at that clinically, as a clinical guide, your lower lateral incisors should be about the same width as your upper laterals. So if I just look at that, so just as a clinical, if you're looking at a patient now and you wanted to do, and you didn't have models and measurements, you would look at the width of your mandibular laterals and they should be about the same width as your upper laterals. And if they're not, you've probably got a bolt discrepancy. So when you've got a bolt discrepancy, you're either going to do a lot of IPR, which is exactly what they've done here on your ClinCheck, okay, and or do you consider taking out a lower incisor too? And this is, now, when I look at the lower left lateral here, the root is so far lingually positioned, that's what's going to take you a lot of time to move. So we would have to ask ourselves, we need to get all this space if we're going to do this non-extraction. And if we're going to do that, we're going to bring, we're going to expand the arches, which I think we need a bit of posterior expansion. But we've got to be really careful not to expand in this segment here with the 3-2. So, and you've also got your 2-2, which is in crossbite, probably related to your pig-shaped lateral sizes. So in the ideal world, if we could build those up a little bit as well, but when I'm looking at your case, I'm thinking to myself, I think we take out that lower left lateral size. Now, that's going to bring some other risks that we've got to address in your clinic setup as well. But I think to mitigate the possibility of further recession, I think we'd probably be looking at taking that 3Q out. Because when you look at that, just if you just imagine by the time I bring that, lat that central in place, I've taken the 3Q out, you've probably only got two, two, maybe maximum three millimetres of spacing left over. And we can resolve that very adequately with a line of therapy. So that's really interesting. That's exactly what um, you know. I've been thinking about my mouth, and when I'm thinking about this case, two quick questions. They're a little bit different. Um, one, you've got a, I've got a Bolton discrepancy of one point six nine, and then they've done IPR of about one point five. If you're trying to help, you know, with get your Bolton discrepancy back down, is your IPR usually going to be exactly the same? Uh, no, because you know, because you need your IPR one for your Bolton discrepancy. Agreed but two, to also alleviate your crowd. So to me, so what they would have done, I'm sure if we go in, if we go in here, if we go in here, and we do, uh, uh, and if we do a superimposition and we go all the way across, so they've also, they would have also expanded and, and advanced to lower interiors as well. Yeah, so that's and, a... It's tooth shape, not crowding, that yep. that would address. Yeah. So you should, yeah, in all honesty, there should be far more IPR being done here mm. to minimise the advancement of those anterior teeth. Hence the reason why I'm thinking of lower, another reason why I'm thinking of lower size extraction. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. And that's something we'll talk about in the next segment about risks. So um, let's just ask one more question. Talking about records that we need, obviously um, we need impressions, scans, we need photos. Yep. Do we always need a LATSEF? That's a really good question. Uh, what I teach in the course, I think a LATSEF is really overutilised. Okay. Um, 
too many people diagnose from the lateral step and they make a diagnosis. And I want to diagnose from the face. But what I talk about is the lateral step is supposed to confirm your clinical diagnosis. So no different to, in all honesty, to when we do endo, we have a clinical diagnosis and the radiograph should confirm it. It's very rare that we should totally diagnose from a radiograph, that we confirm it with the radiograph. So to cut a long story short, yes, you do need a lateral step. I'm going to say that from a medical legal point of view because my orthodontic colleagues, because it's so ingrained in them and the way they've been taught, which it doesn't mean it's right, but that's the way they've been, that they've been taught, you would be negligent if you didn't have one. But personally, I don't think you need one. Yeah, that, that really does sum it up, though. We need to have a clinical diagnosis. X-rays support that diagnosis, but it's important record-keeping. Exactly right. that, that does sum it up. So uh, I've got a Class 1 molar, Class 1 canine, but I don't have a lot of space and some significant risks. So in the next ortho, segment, ortho ed segment, we're going to talk about those risks and we'll get to what you'll actually do with changing this ClinCheck Step 1 um, in the episode after that. So thank you, Jeff, for, sh- uh, for sharing that with us. David, thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.